0: tonight. So tonight I have an aim, and it is to cause the audience to know that we should preach the gospel to ourselves on a regular basis. We should preach the gospel to ourselves. I think Cole Huffman, he says this on a regular basis. We should preach uh, preach the gospel to ourselves every day. I, I, I eased up a little bit on my aim, and I said on a regular basis and the reason that aim ended up being my aim let's get to Deuteronomy here and it's primarily it's chapter 31 and 32 come on in guys <laughs> because the first thing that fascinated me come on in guys you're just in time to hear my aim no <laughs> you're in review, you to go to it yeah. to to know. it's to cause the audience to know that we should preach the gospel to ourselves on a regular basis. And the reason that ended up being my aim, two reasons. The first one is in 31, I was fascinated by the, the reason that God, that God gave Moses... The reason for this song, this song of Moses, was, I was fascinated by it just on the get go because I, I knew I'd heard the phrase. I knew, you know, the song of Moses. And I, I had this going in perception, obviously wrong, that it was a happy song. I don't know why. Maybe just the song of, right? You just think song of Solomon is very positive, very. Lovely. Uh, the Song of Miriam, when they came across the, the Red Sea, you know, the, God parted the waters and closed it on the Egyptian army. And, and, and they had the Song of Miriam. It was a celebration, a praise to God. So I kind of had that mostly positive perception kind of going in. And then as I read the psalm, the song itself, like you, maybe you, were, you reacted to it similarly, I think, wow. So, so, that backed me up into what is what's the purpose? And so, but and God gave Moses. Uh, and one of our questions pointed this out. The reason um, he wanted it, he wanted to put it in their mouth. What verse is that? Nineteen, 19 verse chapter thirty-one, verse nineteen. God says, now therefore, because he's telling them, uh, you know, once again, God is telling Moses. They're going, to, they're going to break the covenant. They're going to forsake me. And um, he says in verse 18, I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they will do, for they will turn to other gods. Now, therefore, write this song for yourselves and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it on their lips, or some translations say, put it in their mouth in order that this song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. And that raised some questions. Um, but then he goes on and he kind of says a very similar thing down in verse 21. And he's kind of, at this point, God is projecting you know, t- to the future um, because he's anticipating you know, that, that I take them into this land flowing milk and honey that I swore to their fathers. And, and they're going to eat. They're going to get satisfied. They're going to become prosperous. And then they're going to turn to other gods and serve them, and spurn me, and break my covenant. And it'll, you know, and we we had the, the chapter of the curses and the blessings, right? And so, so twenty-one. The the curses are going to come. In this song, so that when many evils and troubles have come upon them, again, this is verse twenty-one that this song will testify before them as a witness, for it shall not be forgotten from the lips of their descendants. For I know their intent, which they are developing today, before I have brought them into the land which I swore. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the sons of Israel. And we talked about it a little bit in our group. I take this, that God dictated this song. This really, one commentator I read said this really should be called the song of God, the song of Yahweh, not the song of Moses. Um, we take it that, that you know, God gave Moses this song, had him write it down, and had him teach it to the people and th- with the intention that each generation would teach it to successive generations. So, so that's where I get this idea of uh, trying to think about applications that and I'll finish this. I'll develop this thought here in a minute. But just that there's the idea of I need to preach the gospel to myself. I think that you know God wanted them to have this song where that they, they could remember, in short, you know, kind of the whole story of why I am here, why why I am where I am, and who I am in relation to God, and how has God dealt with me? Because this song captures kind of the history, and and builds the the case. So now, why the gospel? So how did I get the gospel? Well, I got it from, I wasn't seeing it, to be honest with you. Um, But this fellow that I'm reading, I've told you about him, his commentary, his name is Block, Daniel Block. I don't know a lot about him, but his commentary was highly uh, recommended on the list of the best commentaries. And his thing apparently is, Studying, uh, seeing grace—I told you that before. Seeing the grace of God in Deuteronomy, and that's what captured my attention. And so here's how he broke down this uh, this song of Moses. It just kind of fascinated me. I read two different guys. They were they they, they both saw structure. One saw it more as a legal uh, document. That and this guy said, "Yeah, a lot of people see it that way, but there's some parts of it that that kind of make that." Yeah, he said those people are wrong. All right? <laughs> so I didn't get too t- caught up, but I did choose his way. But, but and here it is. So here's the structure: verses one to four, he called it a call to acknowledge the perfections of Yahweh. So hopefully, some of this this will kind of ring true as I give you this. A call to acknowledge the perfections of Yahweh. That's verses one to four. And then the, the second division is a call to acknowledge the imperfections of Yahweh's people. And he has that going from verse 5, that's where it starts, they have acted corruptly toward him, all the way through verse 18, where he says, you, you neglected the rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. He actually breaks that section, that, that, that uh That call to acknowledge the imperfections of Yahweh's people, verses 5 to 18, he he breaks it into three parts. Let me give you that real quick. His thesis statement, which is 5 and 6, the fact that they are imperfect. They've they've acted corruptly, verses 5 and 6. The second section is verses 7 to 14. It's a call to remember Yahweh's grace. Let me read that for us. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of all generations. Ask your father and he will inform you, your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of man, he set boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land. And in the howling waste of a wilderness he encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. The Lord guided him, and there was no foreign God there was no foreign God with him. No word, God did it himself. There's you know, God and God alone. He he made him, God made Israel ride on the high places of the earth and he ate the produce of the field. Israel ate the produce of the field. God made him suck honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock. Curds of cows and milk of the flock with fat of lambs and rams, the breed of Bashan, Bashan, and goats with the finest of wheat and of the blood of grapes you drank wine." So he's just rehearsing in very poetic, very uh, pictorial language the affection of God towards Israel. The, the protection, this, the, the imagery of, this, of the eagle, <coughs> what does it say? Verse 11, like an eagle that stirs up his nest, that hovers over its young. He spreads his wings and coughs. Just real quickly, we did this in our group because somebody brought it up. <laughs> Go back to Exodus. You've got to connect this dot, these two dots. If you, when we studied Exodus, Exodus 19 was real pivotal Pivotal in, the, in Exodus. That's where they'd come out of Egypt, just weeks out of Egypt. God gets them to Mount Sinai. That's where God said, uh, he brought Moses, he, and he said, I'm going to assemble the people. And this is God setting up the, to give them the Ten Commandments. Remember that? The mountains on fire, that's what scared them to death. They said, Moses, this thing is way too scary. Because God said, I want them to hear my voice, so they'll learn to fear me and obey me. It scared them so much they said, Moses, if we do that again, we'll die. You go and you hear what God has to say, and then you come back and tell us. So so the first few verses of 19 is setting up that, that setting, that experience. And God is telling Moses what to go down the mountain and tell the tell Israel. So verse 4, God, Moses is supposed to tell the people you yourselves have seen what i god this would be god speaking you yourselves have seen what i did to the egyptians and how i bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself so just that same imagery it's 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 fleshed out a little bit more here in in uh, this song of moses so that that whole section 15 uh, 7 to 14 a call to remember yahweh's grace so the, so i'm just you know think about Three or four, five, ten generations later, you're a, you're an Israelite, and you're wondering why. And, and I'm thinking you, you're out of the land, or you know, life is not. You're experiencing the curses of, at some level. And this song is, you know, it's kind of it's been hopefully it's been taught to you, and you're it's reminding you all the ways that God was good, was gracious to your ancestors. But then the, next, the third portion of this second division is verses 15 to 18. And that he called that trampling underfoot the grace of Yahweh. So if 7 through 14 was a call to remember Yahweh's grace, then this next section, 15 to 18, is how they trampled underfoot the grace of Yahweh. It says they grew fat. Jezurun, I didn't study how, I've seen that phrase and why that's an an alias for Israel. They grew fat and kicked. You are grown fat, thick and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him. He scorned the rock of his salvation. They made him jealous with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They they sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately. Whom your fathers did not, who did not dread. You neglected the rock who, bought, who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. So that great contrast, right? So that's the second. The second division. So the third big division starts in verse 19. It runs 19 to 35. He called it a call to recognize the justice of Yahweh. Recognize the justice of Yahweh he had two, two, point, two sections of that. Verses 19 to 25. Yahweh's justice in dealing with his own people. Israel. And then 26 to 35. The second part of this third division. Is Yahweh's justice in dealing with Israel's enemies. So verse 19 to 25 is God's justice in dealing with his own people. And 26 to 35 Yahweh's justice in dealing with Israel's enemies. What do we you know what does he mean by justice? Let's, let me just look at 19 to 25. So the Lord saw this verse 19 and spurned them because, because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. I mean it's interesting even even in that verse his sons and daughters not just those people, right? In in verse 17, part of the charge against them is that they neglected the rock who begot you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. So there's this parental, you know, it's God the father. God the mother. I mean, God, you know, he's the parent. But they spurned him. And so he says, he saw this and, and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. He said, I will hide my face from them. And I will see what their end shall be, for they are a perverse generation, sons in whom is no faithfulness. Now, get this. Did y'all see this? Look, at verse twenty-one. They have made me jealous with what is not God, and He'd already He'd already said that in verse sixteen. Made Him jealous. They have provoked Me to anger with their idols. The part, is the second part of verse sixteen. So what God said? What God? What does He say He will do? So I will make them jealous. With those who are not a people, I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. I think about uh, where is it? Is Habakkuk that's talking about that's prior to the Babylonian captivity, the Babylonian assault uh, of, of, of Jerusalem of Judah, the Southern Kingdom. I think it's a very similar language. Habakkuk is raising the question: How can you? How can a pagan nation? Be your instrument to, to take, you know, to overrun your people, your chosen people. And God says, that's what I'm going to do. I'll make them jealous because they made me jealous. They provoke me to anger. I'm going to provoke them to anger. And then we get this imagery of fire again in verse 22. And then, but then starting in verse 26, the song changes to, not to Israel, but to Israel's enemies, and this is fascinating. This is theologically challenging to me or theologically rich. So because God's going to say, I'm going to have uh, compassion, there's gonna, there'll come a time when I' you know I'm not going to be unfaithful ultimately to my promise to Abraham. I'm going to have compassion in, in, on Israel. but, the, but why? This is, he said, because God said verse 26, I would have said, I will cut them to pieces, I will remove the memory of them from men, had I, had I not, here's why he won't do that. Here's why God's saying, but I won't do it that way, because had I not feared the provocation by the enemy, lest their adversaries should misjudge, lest they should say, our hand is triumphant. In other words, God, he, he knows, you're going to be, I'm going to allow a foreign nation like the Babylonians to conquer you. But I don't want the Babylonians to think that they did it by their power. I don't want them to get the credit. I don't want them to think they'd get credit for that. He said, they're a nation lacking in counsel. And the Assyrians, I mean, I'm using the Babylonians as an example of this. The Assyrians came in and took the northern kingdom. There's no understanding in them. Would that they were wise that they understood this, that that they would discern their future. And it's kind of this logical... Verse 30, how could, he's, it's like God is asking these pagan nations, look, you think you were responsible for taking over, you know, for overrunning and conquering Israel? Let's think that through a little bit. How could, you, how could one, one of you, chase a thousand of the Israelites? How could two of you put 10,000 of the Israelites to flight unless their rock, which is me, God, unless me, their rock, had sold them and the Lord had given them up? I mean, the only reason that you had victory over them is because I gave them over to you. That's what he's saying here. Indeed, their rock is not like our rock. Even our enemies themselves judge this. Anyway, so it's just fascinating for God to be giving giving them the reason why he's going to ultimately save. And you remember uh, a few chapters back, Moses was recounting to this generation... When he laid before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. And remember, you know, it was at the, the event of the uh, golden calf. And God said, Moses, step aside. I'm going to wipe them all out. And I'm going to make you, I'm done with this group, right? And, and Moses laid 40 nights and 40 days and, and pleaded with the Lord and said, Lord, don't do that. And he appealed to God basically from the same logic. He didn't appeal. He said, yeah, they are perverse. They are rebellious. They are stiff-necked. But don't let the enemies conclude that you weren't able to get your people out of Egypt and, and get them into the promised land like you promised. You know, your reputation is at stake. I mean, Moses appealed to God on that, on the basis of God's reputation. And God, that's what I have, how I'm reading this song of Moses. God is saying that's, that is the right logic. My reputation matters. Anyway... The, let me keep going here. To, so then, uh, co- uh, the fourth division is the gospel. According to this is the way this guy he, he labeled, it, and that's where I that's where I got the thought. That's where my aim was. Oh, yeah, we need this song <laughs> that I can because re- I, I you know I had figured out that this song was in some way was supposed to remind these people. On and on and on, on a repeated basis, to to reset them, to, to bring them back to here's what's really, as the guy I used to work for at Dover Elevator years ago, how the cow ate the cabbage. Now, I didn't grow up on a farm. I don't know why a cow would eat a cabbage. And I certainly don't know how a cow ate a cabbage. But this guy, that was one of his go to expressions. Tell him how, I told him how the cow ate the cabbage. And I, and I think maybe that's part of what this... These people need to know on a regular basis how the cow eat the cabbage. I don't know how... That, that, that is not in my notes. Um, we'll Google the gospel, yeah. Google that one. Um, maybe maybe he totally made that up. I never Googled it to know if it was a legitimate expression. Yeah. You know, hit the nail on the head. I mean, you hear that one, right? I've never heard that expression. You never heard cow eat the cabbage? Tommy Jameson. I'm going to have to get back to him. Um, The gospel. Let's read about the the gospel in 36. This is where, in the key verse, I mean, I can see why we at least start with the the thought of the gospel. Verse 36. For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone and that there is none remaining, bond or free. And just that thought right there, and I, here's the, you know, Cole has been in Romans recently, and we're, you know, we're doing this, we're coming out of Romans. And the verses that came to my mind, there's some verses in chapter 5, when we were weak, at the right time we were weak, God, did anybody write that down? Anybody know that by heart? Romans 8, Romans 8, where is it? I mean, not Romans 8, Romans 5, Romans 5, 6, in Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, the point there is, you know, that Paul is making about the gospel there is that, you know, we, in fact, he said we were enemies of God. We were weak. We were powerless. We were, we were yet sinners. And, and in that state, that's when God, that's when Christ died for us. And that's, that's, that's the gospel truth that we see here. Now, there's there's a little bit more. But then the last, let me finish with the uh, the last division. And that is a call to celebrate. And actually he just he just labels, he he saw verse 43 as a as kind of the closing, a verse, a division by itself. So the gospel, a call to treasure the compassion of Yahweh. That was verses 36 all the way to 42. And then he said verse 43. <sighs> He called he separated that out as a fifth division, a call to celebrate the deliverance of Yahweh. So anyway, I just I pass that along uh, for two reasons. One is to, because I do think we we see the gospel, we see components of the gospel. We see one is the gospel starts with it's all it's really about God. Going back to the very first division, the first section of the Song of Moses, it starts out with four verses of the greatness of God, the justice of God. Uh, It's who God is, right? Uh, Sally, my wife teaches. uh, She teaches some of the workshops in her BSF class, and one of them is how to share the gospel. And I, you know, it's truths about God. I think that's the way the BSF, uh, the way they teach their workshop about sharing the gospel. Truths about God. Truths about us, man, and truths about Christ, and there might be a fourth one, but the, the the significant thing is that it starts with who God is, and that I just um, I thought about that, and I thought, yeah, we need to be I need to be reminded of that because every you know growing up, and I think I've said this in different ways, I tend to think that the gospel is about me, it's about how God saved me, how one how it's all about me somehow. I mean, you know, it's subtle, it's nuanced. But I still think it's about me. And it's not about me. It's not about you. We're we're included. We're part of it, right? (laughs) But this thing is way bigger than just my little salvation. God is doing a big thing. He's doing a big thing. Um, I'm not going to read it, but write down Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, I think it is. I give you that verse every year. And it's the verse, the the nutshell, that the essence of it is God through the church is putting on display the 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 riches of His wisdom, the the majesty of His wisdom, for the powers that the uh, and He's doing it through the church. It's just the cosmic purposes of God in the gospel through the church. uh, Ephesians three, ten, I think it is. So the gospel starts with God. God is gracious. We spurn it. You know, what is Romans 3? What is Paul's big message in Romans 3? There's none righteous. No, not one. There are none who seek for God. None who understands. You know, it has this catalog of none of us, right? We're all rebellious at heart. and, And we need to be reminded of that, which is one of the reasons why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves on a regular basis. God's grace, my need for grace... God's uh, commitment to redeem, to, where does it, oh, uh, verse 36, he will have compassion. He will vindicate his people. I mean, I, and I, that's part of the gospel that Deuteronomy is kind of bringing into, back into focus for me is that part of the gospel is God's commitment that he started with Abraham. And it actually started before that, right? <laughs> he, he told the serpent, in Genesis three, but he he finally he, he chose that one guy Abraham, and said Abraham, you're the man. I'm going to bless the nations, all the families of the earth, with you, and started this whole thing. And, and the theme of Abraham, and, and you know the true Israel, those who have the faith of Abraham, and it goes all the way through, all the way through the Old Testament, New Testament. So God is being faithful to, to, to that Abrahamic covenant. That's why we're here, is because of God's faithfulness to that covenant. Um, and, and then in that, God is going to judge. He's saying, you know, in, in, um, just look at verse 43, which is a summarization that God is going to avenge the blood of his servants. And render vengeance on his adversaries. And I think about what we studied in Revelation. Was that two years ago? That um, God will get the final word. And remember, um, what chapter is it? Chapter is it Revelation 20? Where who's thrown into the lake of fire? Is the beast already there? You with me here? I didn't look this up. Yeah, I'm a false prophet, false prophet? Satan. Oh, it's Satan because he's unbound. False prophet, there. You know, Satan's unbound, and then he's. And I, I, we don't understand. I don't, but exactly. But the point is, Satan is going to be cast into the lake of fire, and then it says the final enemy. Remember what the final enemy in, in, in Revelation twenty is? That's defeated. Death, right? So God is going to—he's going to he's gonna be the ultimate victory for the church, and in that process, He's going to get vengeance on His enemies in a final sense, right? Anyway, so so there's gospel truths in this song of Moses, and the, and just like they were would need it to be to remind them. Generation after generation after generation, they needed to be reminded of who they were, you know, who God is, and who they were in relationship to God, and what God, why they possibly why they're in the position they were in, and the hope that God's going to save. And we need to preach to to ourselves the same gospel on a regular basis. Let me close. That that'll be it for tonight. Lord, we again thank you for the things that we see in, in this book of Deuteronomy. Totally different context, totally, we, but Lord, we see you, we certainly see in this song, your heart, your tenderness, your devotion, your commitment, just to think about how you as, a, as, a, as an eagle, you, you, you carry us on your opinions, you, you, you swoop down and, and keep us from falling out of the sky. So many thoughts, so many pictures of your tenderness and your love and your desire that we respond with our our affection, with our appreciation, with our recognition that you are, in fact, our God, our Heavenly Father, the one who owns us, the one who created us, the one who has graciously saved us from our own foolishness, our own rebellion. All these things, Lord, we see this in Deuteronomy. Uh, Burn these truths in our hearts. Help us to see the the implications of them, uh, even tomorrow, and just the realities of life that we live. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen.